Hello and you're very welcome to Maritime Ireland. This is Tom McSweeney with the Maritime Ireland radio show about Ireland's maritime culture, history, tradition and development. This is the 28th edition of the programme and the last in our current series of fortnightly editions which we launched a year ago. Having assessed listeners' responses and suggestions, in January we'll introduce a new monthly hour-long programme and podcast with the most comprehensive coverage of the Irish marine scene. So do tune in to Maritime Ireland monthly radio show to keep in touch with Ireland's maritime sector. Because the sea around our coastline and our lakes and rivers are all part of Ireland's maritime culture, history, tradition and development. Socially and economically, they're vital to this island nation. Ireland's connection with the sea is as old as time itself. It's our channel to the world. Everyone relies on the defence forces. Floods, snow, rubbish miners strike. Who do we call the defence forces? People forget about them. They walk out the gate, they are gone. We don't need them anymore. That's the president of the Organisation of National Ex-Servicemen and Women, known as the ONE, Dermot Higgins. What does the state do, if anything, for the men and women who have served it and who have fallen, perhaps, on hard times? We'll hear what the ONE is doing. And was this the first time that a lifeboat at sea used a breacher's boy system in a rescue? It was definitely the first use of the Breacher's Boy by the Ironmore Lifeboat. So my grandfather was a coxswain. Unbelievable manoeuvre really, you know, anchored the boat and uh, eased in under anchor, used the flares, shot the lines onto the stalwick, pulled off the 18 men one by one. Mark Boyle from Ironmore Island will tell us that story. Seventy-nine years is a long time to be remembering, I thought, as I stood at a monument on East Beach in Cove, the historic maritime town on the edge of Cork Harbour, on a damp morning with a cold wind blowing, hearing the names of five men described as the only ones to die on active service for the country during World War II, when Ireland was a neutral nation. They that go down to the sea in ships and occupy their business in great waters. These men see the works of the Lord and his wonders in the deep. Let us pray especially for these five brave men we commemorate here today who gave their lives in the service of our nation in the tragedy in this harbour on the 12th of December 1942. Namely... John Higgins, Patrick Wilshaw, Frank Powell, William Duggan, Frank Lloyd. May they and all seafarers who have lost their lives at sea rejoice forever in the eternal kingdom of peace. Lord, hear us. 
Church of Ireland Rector and Cove Reverend Paul Arbuthnot, leading the members of the ONE and a congregation of representatives from maritime organisations standing on the roadway at the edge of Cork Harbour in the annual remembrance of the five men who died in a tragic wartime shipping accident in Cork Harbour. Commemorative reeds were laid at the memorial, including by family members of the men. Justin Marr tells the story of the tragedy. The night of Saturday, December the 12th, 1942, in the middle of World War II, was very stormy in Cork Harbour. Under wartime regulations, every ship entering the harbour had to be inspected. Irish shipping's Irish Poplar arrived bound for Cork Dockyard at Rushbrook for an annual refit. The vessel hove to at the Dognose Buoy, southeast of Spike Island, to await inspection. The Cork Harbour Commissioner's launch left the Cove Pilot Station to put a harbour pilot aboard. One of the crew was John Higgins. He would not return to the station that night. The Marine Service launch departed its Holmbolland base with an inspection party. Frank Powell, William Duggan, Patrick Wilshaw and Frank Lloyd were on the crew. They would never return to their Holmbolland base. The bodies of two of those five men have never been found. In the difficult, stormy weather conditions, Pilot Patrick Lynch and Marine Service Chief Petty Officer Frank Barry were assisted by the ship's crew to get aboard Irish Poplar. Having completed his inspection, Officer Barry prepared to disembark, but there was no sign of either the Marine Service or the Commissioner's launch. It was assumed that, because of the severity of the weather, those vessels had put back to their bases. But unknown to the Irish Poplar, both launches had collided in trying to cope with the severe conditions. Both lost power and drifted towards the ship's stern. Without cargo, the Irish Poplar was light in the water and part of her propeller was above sea level. There being no sign of the launches, the ship's engines began moving the Irish Poplar from its hove-to position. Subsequent investigations concluded that the launches were hit by the ship's propeller and six people were thrown into the water. The coxswain of the pilot launch, James Hogan, was a very strong swimmer and he managed to swim to Spike Island and raise the alarm. Powerful searchlights were turned on at three forts in the harbour, Davis, Maher and Mitchell. To light up the turbulent waters as searching began for the missing men. Another marine service boat, Wyndham, got to the scene and Ballycotton lifeboat battled around the coast to take part in the search. Following days of searching, three bodies were found the bodies of Frank Powell and John Higgins were never located. And back in the town, in a street that runs down to the sea and the harbour wall, they gathered in pairs at the foot of the stairs to wait for the radio call. And just before dawn, when all hope was gone, Came a hush and a faraway sound. Twas the coxswain, he roared, all survivors on board. Thank God, and we're homeward bound to carry them home. Home, home from the sea, angels of mercy, answer our plea. 
and carry them home. Home, home from the sea, carry them safely home from the sea. haunting sound of the last post and then Ravale, played by John Crowley of Cove Confraternity Band. And before that, the lifeboat song Home from the Sea, sung by Ashling McCarthy. Pat Feen is chairman of the Cove branch of the ONE, which organised the commemoration. Why is it still holding the ceremony after 79 years? It is special and it's very um, important to Remember, there's people that worked for the, the country day in, day out, and the people that were lost. It's vital important that they're always remembered. It was unusual because of the only men to die in active service, really. It is, but they were always ready to go. They were always there and the call. Probably a blessing there was no more lost. And it's very important for the ONE to remember every year. It is a very seafaring town. It is very special for the ONE to keep this tradition going. Dermot Higgins is the national president of ONE and told me why remembrance is so important. Not alone are we supporting ex-service personnel who have fallen at hard times, but one of our main functions would be remembrance to remember those who have gone before us. These five men who died here in 1942, four were forerunners of the Irish Naval Service, the Martin inscription, and we have to remember them, because that's where we all came from. Former servicemen may be out of public mind, and as you say, they may need to be looked after some of them. So your organisation does that? Yes. We are providing services for ex-service personnel who, have, for one reason or another, have fallen hard times. 
here in Cove, we have a five-bed home ready for them. We have another home in Athlone, Letterkenny and Dublin. And we also provide counselling services. People who have different problems just can't survive outside of the service. While they're in the service, all their needs were taken care of. When they were out, they fell by the wayside and we are picking up the pieces that are missing now. And that's very important because, as I say, the public may not be aware of that or of the work you do. No, they're not. Um, we're trying to improve our profile in the general public. Everyone relies on the defence forces. Floods, snow, rubbish men on strike. Who do we call? We call the army or the Navy or the Air But when they leave the Defence Forces, they walk out the gate, they are gone. We don't need them anymore and people forget about them. And we need to remember and offer support to those men who have served the country at home and abroad and never asked why. Dermot Higgins, National President of the ONE. And the reason we should remember those who have served in the Defence Forces. My friend Andrew Doherty, whose blog Waterford Harbour Tides and Tales is published on the last Friday of every month, reminds of another wartime tragedy in December, during another world war. Within two days in December 1917, during World War I, Waterford experienced its worst maritime disaster, with the sinking of Clyde Shipping's SS Formby and SS Conning Beg. Of the 83 who died, 67 were from Waterford. On Aranmore Island off Donegal, Mark Boyle will be on emergency call-out standby on Christmas Day for the first time at the island's lifeboat station, the history of which goes back to 1883. A new lifeboat station is to be built at the site of the present one at Pula Wadi. Mark joined the crew this year after returning from America. His family have a long tradition with the island lifeboat, of which his grandfather was coxswain in December 1940, when it used a breeches boy system to rescue 18 Dutch sailors from a ship in difficulty in bad weather off the northwest coast. To do that is most unusual. It was an amazing rescue. It was, yeah, it was uh, 81 years ago, just there, uh, the 7th of December past, it was the anniversary, and um, famous rescue in the Ornalai history books, as well as being obviously, you know, very, very important for local history as well, and as was when, during the, during the Second World War in 1940, there was a... a Dutch steamer. She uh, she lost control of her rudder, or actually lost her rudder, and uh, in in a storm, not unlike what we experienced recently, Storm Barra. Strangely enough, same time of year, and um, yeah, the the lifeboat crew were called on the sixth of December. The weather was so bad they actually couldn't get away from the from the from the uh, the launch pier on Arnmore. They actually got swamped and they had to wait till it settled a bit. Went out on the seventh and. Um, so Tory Island is about 20 miles from Ironmore, so they had to beat their way down to the, uh, the north side of Tory, carry out the rescue. Um, 18 men were recovered from from the 
from the Stalwick, she was called, and she was she was on rocks on an island called Inishku. And um yeah, absolutely amazing rescue. You know, Breacher's Boy was used to get the 18 men off, and we're actually not sure about this, but we're not we're not aware of an earlier use of the Breacher's Boy. It'd be interesting that some of your listeners might be able to chime in and give us some more background on that, but it was definitely the first use of the Breacher's Boy by the Ironmore Lifeboat, and um, yes, so my grandfather was a coxswain, and um, unbelievable manoeuvre, really, you know, anchored the boat and uh, eased in under under anchor and used the flares, shot the lines onto the stalwick, pulled off the 18 men one by one, and um, and then eventually made their way back. The whole rescue took about 14 hours, I believe, uh, between getting there and getting back. So that's uh, a standard rescue. Got the gold medal from the from the Royal National Lifeboat Institution back in 1940 and then after the war had ended the the crew were invited to london and they got commemorated by the uh the dutch family or the dutch royal family i should say queen wilhelmina i think um so yeah it really is a it's a proud piece of history for the island a very impressive one certainly mark and this year you were going to be, because you returned from the States to Aaron Moore, going to be on your first call-out availability if needed. Hopefully, obviously, it won't be. But you're on standby for Christmas Day and the, and the holiday period. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, as you... Yeah, and Nula, the, the lady from Ornella, I obviously give you a heads up. Yeah, this is my first Christmas. I moved back from the States in uh, in April there, joined the crew pretty much off the bat, um, not quite off the boat, but definitely within a few days of arriving back. So I would have grown up fishing around the island with my father and, and other, other, other members of the community, and then I would have worked on whitefish boats along the west coast of Ireland. That's what originally brought me down to Galway, for example, fishing prawns and the porcupine. But then eventually I, I went into industry and used some of the some of the college qualifications I had. But so that sort of gradually moved me away from the island community and the coastal the coastal lifestyle. But as I came back this year, you know, I was absolutely uh, chuffed at getting the opportunity to to join the crew because you can't not live in a coastal community like Ironmore and not want to be involved in the uh, in the lifeboat service because it's such an important service. And when you have the background in fishing, you know, that's that's you know, you're acutely aware of the importance of having members, you know volunteering their time so that when that call comes that you know there's there's people trained and ready to go mark boyle at aaron moore lifeboat station i hope he and the crew have a quiet peaceful christmas birdwatch ireland the charity which protects birds is looking for help from anyone who goes to coastal areas beaches harbors ports and those who live on the offshore islands niall hatch asks for your help Over the past two years, all of us have learned more about disease pandemics than we would ever have believed possible. Highly contagious and destructive viral outbreaks are not confined to humans, of course, and over the past few months, avian influenza, or bird flu, has come back into the spotlight. There have been several confirmed outbreaks, both in domestic poultry flocks and amongst wild birds. There are numerous strains and subtypes of the avian influenza virus that each vary in severity. The strain that has recently been detected in some wild birds in Ireland is highly pathogenic avian influenza H5N1, which spreads easily between birds and causes illness, with a high death rate. This strain had been detected in a number of European countries before arriving into Ireland in November, as wild birds migrated southwards and westwards for the winter. 
Bullet Ireland is part of an early warning system with regard to surveillance for signs of disease in wild birds, together with colleagues in the National Parks and Wildlife Service, the Department of Agriculture, Food and the Marine, and the National Association of Regional Game Councils. It is important to stress that there have been no confirmed cases of animal-to-human transmission during the current outbreak, and there are no known risks to human health. The impacts on both wild birds and on poultry producers could be extremely serious, however, and it is vital that the situation is monitored and that outbreaks are rapidly identified. Wetland birds appear to be disproportionately affected by avian influenza, perhaps because they tend to gather in relatively large flocks and to move greater distances than other birds. Birdwatch Ireland monitors Ireland's water birds and seabirds on an ongoing basis, particularly through our Irish Wetland Bird Survey, and this provides both the state and conservationists with a wealth of data on bird populations and movements. We are also asking members of the public to be vigilant, and people who regularly visit coastal harbours and beaches and who take to the seas have a particularly important role to play. Dead seabirds often go unnoticed and unrecorded. If you happen to come across dead or obviously sick birds, please do not touch them, and please report them immediately to the Department of Agriculture via its website. Ongoing monitoring of wild bird populations is a very important part of Birdwatch Ireland's work, and we rely heavily on public assistance. If you're looking for another way to help, over the next few weeks you might like to participate in our Irish Garden Bird Survey, which this winter is sponsored for us by Ballymaloo and which will run until the end of February. Taking part is easy. Using our special survey form, each week you simply note down the highest number of each bird species that you see in your garden at any one time. Full details are available at www.birdwatchireland.ie. We're also tracking starlings this winter, and in particular the locations of the phenomenon known as a murmuration, when huge numbers of these small, dark birds flock together on winter evenings and perform amazing aerobatic displays around dusk. It is one of the most breathtaking sights in nature, and there are several well-known sites across the country where it can be seen. However, we know that starling murmurations in marine areas, and especially over offshore islands, coastal wetlands and the sea itself, are under-recorded. In other European countries, it is known that harbours and piers often host large starling murmurations and nighttime roosts, and we need more data on this from Ireland. So, this winter, please keep an eye out for starling murmurations and report them to our Starling Murmurations Survey. Once again, you'll find full details at www.birdwatchireland.ie. Also, keep an eye on our Facebook page and our Twitter feed for news of murmurations near you. It's a spectacle not to be missed. If you're looking for a New Year resolution that will help our environment, will greatly aid efforts to conserve our most threatened flora and fauna, and benefit your own physical and mental health, may I suggest becoming a member of Birdwatch Ireland. As a conservation charity, your support would mean a great deal to us. Please visit www.birdwatchireland.ie for more information and to sign up. Niall Hatch of Birdwatch Ireland. Seabirds are a vital part of the nature of the oceans. There are 185,000 anglers in Ireland, so Miles Kelly from Fisheries Ireland tells us now as he explains how important those anglers are in tracking changes in fish populations and tells us about the new FLEXI system, the state agency for protecting, managing and conserving Ireland's inland fisheries and sea angling resources has developed. Now we're all familiar with anglers fishing for fish but this time I'll be telling you some interesting news about anglers fishing for science. Inland Fisheries Ireland has developed an important new tool that captures anglers' knowledge and hands-on experience to help track changes in stocks of marine fish. Basically, we have harnessed sea anglers' observations to develop an early warning tool when it comes to marine fish stocks. What's more, we think that these new scientific data collection methods and the tool that we've developed could have international appeal and help other countries more clearly see the early warning signals. The new tool is called Flexi and it can track how fisheries change over time. 
And what makes this work is that it taps into the local knowledge of Irish sea anglers as a way of complementing scientific knowledge and not just their angling knowledge and skills. We also recognize and rely on their ability to see changes in the ecology of the venues they fish and the environment around them. Over 650 recreational anglers who fish along the Irish Sea, Celtic Sea and West Coast of Ireland have contributed to the development of the tool. And it's getting some notice already. It was highlighted in the International Council for the Exploration of the Seas, which you probably know better as ICES, in their journal of marine science earlier this month. So what is FLEXI? So FLEXI is an acronym which stands for Fishers Local Ecological Knowledge Surveillance Indicators. Obviously, FLEXI is much easier to say. The FLEXI tool can track how fisheries change over time and, you know, to see numbers in fish if they're increasing or decreasing. And we believe it could also have a much broader application in helping to conserve or manage fisheries internationally, particularly as all EU member states are obliged to develop data collection programmes for their own marine recreational fisheries. Ireland is known throughout the world for its iconic sea angling resources. And we have up to 185,000 anglers fishing in the sea annually. There is a long and proud tradition of sea angling in the country that means that many individuals and groups have accumulated generational knowledge of sea angling over the years. Whether it's anticipating the migrations and seasonal movements of taupe in the Irish Sea or knowing the best wind directions for bass fishing on the beaches of the Dingle Peninsula. We wanted to create a standardized framework that could capture these anglers' observations and perceptions to help us better understand long-term changes in recreational fisheries and to act as an early warning signal for long-term changes into the future. So tools like Flexi help us meet the challenge of monitoring fisheries. And it can also provide important new information that supports science, policy and management in Ireland and potentially throughout the European Union. Back in April, we did a survey of 657 sea anglers, and some of these guys had 40 years experience. They were asked how sea angling now compared with how they remember sea angling back in the day when they first started. Based on their perceptions and observations, the results suggest that stocks of cod, whiting and bass all have declined around Ireland over the last 40 years. And importantly, this perception matches with the stock assessments from ICES, which is the organisation tasked with determining stock status for all sea fish species in European waters. The study results clearly demonstrate that anglers' knowledge can provide an accurate picture of changing marine fish stocks. Anglers have a leading role to play in conservation. They spend many hours outside observing nature and the fish they catch. And they can recall how different species have come and gone and how average catches and sizes have changed. And over an angling lifetime, all this experience offers a unique insight into the status of fisheries. So we have a policy of collaborating where possible with angling citizen scientists and of harnessing their experiences to help us better understand long term changes and how to protect these wonderful resources for the future. I always say that fishing is more than catching and never was that more true than here. You can find out more about Flexi at fisheriesireland.ie.
Miles Kelly bringing us to the end of this edition of the Maritime Ireland Radio Show, which is broadcast on 18 local community radio stations around Ireland. CRY 104FM Yall, West Cork FM, Bear Island Radio and UCC Radio. Near FM Dublin, Dublin City FM, Liffey Sound and Dublin South. In Galway on Connemara Community Radio and Kinvara FM. Dundalk FM, Athlone Community Radio, Kilkenny City Radio, Community Radio Castle Bar, Eris FM, Belmullet, South West Clare Radio, Radio Cork of Boschkeen, West Limerick 102 FM and Tip Midwest Radio in Tipperary. There are podcasts on your favourite podcast source. Wherever you've been listening, thank you for being part of the Maritime Community. Sound supervision on the programme by Justin Maher and more Marine News on Twitter. As I said at the outset, this is the 28th edition of the programme and next month we'll introduce the new monthly hour-long programme and podcast. Until then, the usual wish of fair sailing.